So uh, if I'm Dylan Larkin, I'm pretty pumped seeing the Matt Barzell extension. Yeah, I would say so. I think progressively as the summer and now the start of the regular season has progressed, Dylan Larkin's number has just increased significantly. I'm pretty sure at one point during the summer, I think we were like, ooh, we're not sure if we want to go over eight for Dylan Larkin. Well, the, the big question is it's really, it gets really confusing because the different contracts that have been thrown out, like you see Tage Thompson, there's JT Millers, now there's Jason Robertson, who arguably the best player and most boom player on the list and his ceiling or like his floor already is ridiculous. And he's still so young. I would have, if I'm, if I'm Jason Robertson, I'm so mad at my agent right now to kind of get off the Barzell contract, but I'm flamingly mad at my agent. Yeah. Just giving him, give him the boot. But I mean, he's also set up for four years and I'm pretty sure he's a UFA after that. Right. I think he's an RFA. I'd have to check that. He might be UFA. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's an sure. RFA. That'd be I think that's training. the other bad part. Oh, that's bad. I that's thought it was, was it a four year or three year? Four. I think that's UFA. I think he's, he's my, an RFA. Because he's my age. Yep. I think he'd be, 20, sure. he'd be 27. I thought I saw a tweet that he's an RFA afterwards. I think okay. it was Jay, really, Jay Fresh. Okay. Really good deal from Dallas then. Either way, I think it's a good deal for Dallas, but like. It's yeah. a it's an unreal deal for Dallas and Jim Nell. Yeah, good work, Jimmy. Um, but no, yeah, oh. Matt Bars Matt Barzell. Yeah, people, if you anyone who missed it, um, nine point one five average annual value, eight years. Matt Barzell is twenty five, so a year younger than Larkin. Kind of similar production across their careers. I mean, Matt Barzell had the really big rookie year. We scored eighty five points, but then after he's kind of been in the Barry Trot system a little bit. Um, hidden i guess offensively still has shown flashes of that like the electricity but like again he's hasn't really been able to show his full potential he's a true playmaker i, w- I want to see more freedom with him I-, I i truly think that deal is is really good and barzell has become a really good two-way player but i think barzell is one of the most skilled players in the league whether it comes to skating stick handling and even just like vision vision like watching him skate is ridiculous first off um probably some of the best transitions in the game um 100 he's a one man circle, he's a one man breakout yes and watching him circle the ozone is it's art. Really funny it's jonathan bergeron on steroids Yes, and I, I love seeing – that's another part. I loved him in the playoffs the last – Dude, he's not, a monster in the playoffs. Not, he's almost, not last he's, year, but that's that's another big reason with that contract. Like, Yeah. Matt Barzell is a great playoff player. Yeah, and kind of like comparing the two, I think it's such a good comparable for Dylan Larkin because I think they're very similar centers. Both, I think, are first-line centers, but like aren't like that superstar center. That's where I kind of fade off. I think Matt Barzell can be that superstar center. I think they need to change his role a little bit. Yeah, and, like, we'll see under a new coach. But, like, right – I'm saying as of right now. Yeah. I think him and Dylan Larkin are in that same echelon of center. Yeah. I would I even argue Dylan Larkin has showed a little more consistency in his it, career. It's hard to argue that, though, because of Matt Barzell's playoff success. 
That is true. Dylan Larkin doesn't have the opportunity to show that. Yeah. No, he has not. Either way, very close. And Dylan Larkin, unfortunately, is is increased. Its price is increased. Yep. And this is why it's why Stevie Y is he's he makes the big bucks. He gets to make decisions like this. So yeah. Either way, like Dylan Larkin's gonna get signed. It's just the question of how much. Because in a team like Detroit after the offseason they just had, there's it doesn't make any sense to lose your best player. Yep. Who's also at a young age where we'll continue to grow with the core. Agreed. So it will get done. It's just a question of how much and the price is continually going up. And my fantasy team needs him to Your perform this year. Yeah, we had a big fantasy draft too. We did. The production line uh, league. Yeah, excluding Andy. Excluding Andy because he won last year. So yeah. he, he won it out. Yeah, I guess we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, welcome into another episode of the Production Line Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Garth Wickham. Grant Wickham. And I was waiting for Andy for a second, so I paused. I, sp- I paused for a split second, then realized Andy is going to be late. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, we've had a, yeah, our hosts today, all three of us kind of had hectic days, to say the least. But we're here and uh ready to talk some red wings hockey but i kind of want to talk about fantasy too a little bit like i feel like my draft didn't go as well as i wanted it to really yeah i'm not gonna lie i kind of wanted dylan larkin and i may have re- i reached a little bit on seth jarvis i think i think you did too and you were three rounds later after i took anton lundell after you took jarvis you're flaming me about it you're like really anton lundell <laughs> and i'm like dude you took seth jarvis three rounds ago we'll see Especially with the preseason that Martin HS has had, I'm like, Seth Jarvis might have a smaller role. Also preseason. It's also preseason. I agree. And Seth Jarvis was very good in the playoffs last year. Oh, he was a monster. He's a he's a great player. And mm. again, I'm not mad about having him on my team. It's just like I think I picked him a little high, but that's okay. Yeah, Taking on him for the breakout. I my only two picks that I was kind of like mad about were Anders Lee really late in the draft. Um, oh, yeah. Then, I mean, he's a consistent scorer. Yeah, but I'm thinking – I'm already thinking about dropping him for David Krejci. I'm thinking Ooh, about that. And then uh, Sam Sam Drard a little early too, which that one is questionable from my part. Yeah. Yeah. The David Krejci one's an interesting one. Yeah. Considering he plays such a big role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. But I mean, kind of back to your preseason stuff, uh, perfect transition to Red Wings preseason. Um, but in our, for case of our arguments, uh, preseason means everything. So true. That's right. So Michael Rasmussen, is he first line center? It's the ultimate question. I would say possibly. Mm-hmm. Not on the yeah. Red Wings, though. No, because Joe Valeno is first line center and ah, Rasmussen Rash- second line center. Yeah, my apologies, I forgot about Joe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, uh, yeah, as camp is ending, I mean, obviously the Red Wings really haven't made any significant amount of cuts like most NHL teams because they have a unique schedule in the sense of a back to back to finish, and it doesn't make any sense to cut all your guys and be like, oh, we're gonna go back to back with our NHL team for no reason and risk injury. Yeah. That'd have been ridiculous. That's kind of what a it, stupid setup, not gonna lie. Oh, it's extremely dumb. But they'd usually do that though. They usually do Toronto to finish up. I if I'm remembering correctly. But then do like, like like a day in between of rest. And then you can have just I don't know. And both teams can just take it light then. I don't know. It's kind of I, really my dumb. my also my favorite thing about it is it's what's gonna suck is both coaches have decided that they're gonna go their NHL heavy lineups uh at home. Mm-hmm. 
so Red Wings are going to have an NHL heavy lineup versus like a prospect heavy lineup against Toronto in Detroit on Friday. And then it's going to be the opposite on Saturday. So it's like, that. it's almost like it's not a great, I don't know, competitive balance. And also how you're supposed to judge like your final picks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I mean, the Red Wings have a couple of players we'll talk about. And it's just like, great. You dominated against talent that you're probably similar to. I'd assume that. I don't know. I'd assume, I know they kind of like to keep it in close, but I'd assume minds are mostly made up by now. Yeah. I mean, if we, and if we, again, like we're kind of basing this, this article, I'm, I'm, as I'm writing an article right now on this, but also this podcast, we're kind of basing around uh, the lineups for the past couple practices and what the battles that remaining look like and what decisions could be made. And the answer is there's not really much. It looks pretty like I would say there's probably like maybe four spots up for grabs, maybe if that the I'd bottom the bottom pair both so five and six third line center, but like all those players are going to be in the lineup. Yep, and I guess like the fourth line wing. Yeah, it's kind of like where I'm at, and I kind of feel like it's pretty well set otherwise. So it'll be uh, definitely interesting moving forward. But, I mean, I suppose we can uh, get into those lines. I just need to pull them up real quick. Good hosting on my part, talking while doing this. Um, it's kind of been the same the past. I think it's been roughly the same. Uh, I would say top nine have been the same. I'm just trying to remember the uh... – yeah, no, it's been, I think it's been exactly the same the past two, like the Tuesday practice and then today's practice Thursday. So the top line, Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond. Uh, second line, Perron, Kopp, Verana. Uh, the third line, Kubalik, Valeno, Zadina. Fourth line, Ernie, Rasmussen, Soderblom. And then like the fifth line, I guess you want to call it Berggren, Suter, Smith. So kind of just looking there, the first things that kind of pop out to me, I'm not even looking top of the lineup. I'm looking towards the bottom with uh, Berggren and Soderblom still being in the mix there. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts there? Like, what do you think chances are? How have you liked their games so far through preseason? Um, man. So I might be the biggest Jonathan Bergeron fan around, right? I love watching him. And I was really hopeful coming into preseason on his game and how it would translate to faster pace and more physicality. I mean, I guess the AHL is really physical too, but just bigger, I would say, the NHL is. Um, I, th- I think he's looked pretty pretty good. I, I still think there's a lot he needs to improve on before he makes the next jump. Um, like you'll, you'll see moments where you're like, oh, my gosh, he looks so good. Like, especially Wednesday night – against Washington there were some moments when he was playing with Burt that he just made a ridiculous pass and Burt found him right after that and it was after he got comfortable playing with Burt because the first couple minutes or a couple shifts of that game he looked a little bit out of place not gonna lie yeah he's Um, definitely he's definitely a player that's gonna need to be utilized higher in the lineup agreed or at least with very skilled players he gives me heavy Gus Nyquist, Thomas Tatar, Andre Pilat, Tyler Johnson vibes. The overripening. 
the over ripening. I mean, depending on the situation, it's not a bad thing. I would argue for the Tatar Nyquist ones, those were a bad thing because they were on entry level contracts and Detroit was trying to be competitive mm-hmm. and like making playoff runs. Where at this point, Detroit has made, they're trying to make that jump to become playoff contenders. So we have now less space and guys under on term who are still youngish competing with Bergeron. So it's a little bit different. I agree in the sense of like if Bergeron makes the team next year out of camp, like that's very similar age wise and skill wise. Well, even right now, I look ahead and I see him as a plug and play. Like the two contracts I look at right now are Kublik and Perron. Two years, they're up. Mm-hmm. Right. And if they don't get re signed, this is totally way far in advance. That's the time I, I just, it's, it's tough out there for him to make the team. And ultimately, I don't see it happening this year. And I, I love the player. And I think he's done a good job in preseason and training camp. I just don't know if there's a spot for him and for his skill set. I For something that it's not something that isn't com- completely not there. So a few a few things. One I wanted to add on to the whole winger contract situation. We a guy that we totally forget about is Robbie Fabry. That's true. <laughs> like what's happening with him once he's healthy? No idea. I don't even want to think about it right now because again, want him to be healthy. There's too much to think about right now. And yeah, I want him to be healthy. Absolutely. I like Robbie Fabry a lot, but I really he? I'm also the biggest Robbie Fabry fan. Yes. What's going on there? Uh, second, with Bergeron, I would also like to point out a team that has done really well with skill players lower in the lineup and has gotten them their opportunities is Carolina. They have, and that's that's also a team I've been really thinking about the past couple of days. With Natchez so and Jarvis and Kakinyami all spending significant time on the fourth line. I mean, if Bergeron's with the right players on the fourth line, I'm not opposed to it. And you run... And you run more of a skilled like, like Carolina. They 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 play, like Brindamore rolls his lines quite well. well. Cock, like, Cock and played fourth line like all of last year too, right? Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I said. Yeah. I, I oh, you did say KK. I didn't even. Yeah, I said Cock and But yeah, that is like a scenario where like, and again, I, I said the same thing like with Soderbloom as well because we talked about that last episode with him potentially being on a fourth line with Pew Suter, which they looked really well together, and Adam Ernie. Another guy we'll talk about in a little, like we can roll into him next too. Um, that's just such, like, it's just a scenario where I can see as long as they're getting like power play looks and stuff like that, I'm not as worried about their roles, I guess, at five on five. Well, that, that's exactly how it is for me, though. Right now, I don't see, well, you, right now, kind of the based on the way things have been going, you have a third line of, let's just say, for this time, this time being, Valeno, Zadina, Kublik, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Where where does Rasmussen go? Yeah, you'd assume a fourth line center spot. Potentially, you'd, you'd assume him or Joe Valeno will be setting the fourth line. Let's just say that. Okay. And I'm assuming Suter's gonna be playing the wing on the fourth line. Mm-hmm. That leaves one spot. Yeah. Essentially. Right. Unless you so be it, say Suter doesn't belong, 
or you see fit somewhere else of for someone being better than him. And then you got a spot like that last spot in the lineup is you have your Adam Ernie, you have your Oscar Sunquist. Um, and then you another have, guy being forgot about right now. Exactly. And then you have Bergen and Soderblom fighting, right? Here's the other thing. At, the basis of my Bergeron thought right now of him being a player that's going to have to be overripened is because I have Soderblom ahead of Bergeron right now. And, and not just his game in general, but for the, the idea of Elmer has been more of an, more of something you don't have. Right. He's a unicorn. He's he's there's nobody like him and kind of to go off that throughout the preseason, I would say he's gotten better and better every game. Yeah. Which is really good for a player like that. That's six foot eight. You need him to be consistent. Yeah. The one point of his game that has been rough in my eyes has been the power play. And that's the. That's something that you just touched on a little bit. If you're going to be on the fourth line, we want you to be at least playing one of the special teams. And power play has to be Elmer's specialty. So that I would like to see improvement on from him. Mm -hmm. But five on five, this dude has been an animal. In the corners, it's so hilarious to watch. Yes. And I'm thinking, like, just imagine, again, I talked about it with Soderbloom, a line with him, Pew Suter, and, like, say in theory, Michael Rasmussen. Mm Mm-hmm. Just two giants and then Pew Suter, who's very smart. Very smart. Just roll them in the corners. Tire exactly. out some tire out some players, gain some momentum, and then uh, immediately you're following up your first line. It's a great thing to have. Very it is a valuable. great thing to have. Another thing about that is a big point I had from Wednesday was Elmer has been very good with anybody he's played with. Yeah. He was on a line with Matt Loff and Pontus Andreasen on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And arguably was one of the best forwards for the Red Wings. Yeah. Most noticeable, at least. Um, that's something that you really like to see, especially when Washington is running an almost full forward group. Yeah, basically they did, besides Man- Mantha, obviously, who had his uh his um first child was born. And I, I yes, that is good for congrats to Anthony and Correct. his wife. Um but I, I I should say that Matloff had a very good game, and so did Pontus Andreasen. Yeah. But for who else was in the lineup, Elmer Soderblom had a terrific game, especially for his probably second game not playing with top-of-the-line players or top-of-the-lineup players or immediate or automatic players to make the team, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely – I'm really curious what the lines they roll with against Toronto. I almost, yeah, like I'm curious who gets the nod Soderblom or Berggren to play like on like a fourth line or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like even a third line to see if, see if they can even play higher. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many options you have. Man. Yeah. I, out of the two, I think I lean more Soderblom than Berggren. I'm, I'm, 80% Soderblom over Bergen right now. But I really did love what I saw at Bergen. I think it was um, Monday versus um, Pittsburgh. He played on a line with Kubelik and Valeno. Yep. 
he that looked line really good. Was, that line was a lot of fun. Arguably Detroit's best line, aside from the Red Wings top line. Yeah. Very noticeable. I mean, again, like Kubalik's been a monster in the preseason. Again, it's preseason, but granted, he's been a guy that needed to have a big camp to prove that what last season happened was yep. a bit of a mistake. And Valeno as well, which we'll, we'll get into him a little bit later. But um, yeah, I kind of like transitioning to other like spots in the bottom of the lineup. Adam Ernie, I think is, I think I said Philip Zadina might've been the one that's benefiting the most from a fresh perspective in Derek Lone. I think it's Adam Ernie. I think as, so too. I think Lalonde has really given him an opportunity to play with like plenty of NHLers throughout camp. And I think he made a comment after it was the Chicago game where he scored twice. He made a comment like he lowered, he switched Andreessen and Ernie mid game to change, just get a different look for Andreessen. And he felt that Ernie carried the line that he went to in terms of offense and ended up being an extra attacker at the end. And the loan, what I found interesting about that is Lalonde goes into every game with a list of players that he's going to use for an extra attacker situation. And Adam Ernie wasn't on the list to start that. I don't know if that meant just preseason in general, if that's actual every game, which is interesting. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't know. I'm again, I'm just kind of repeating his words. He could have, yeah. he could have meant in general as well, but either way, still compliment towards Adam Ernie. That is a compliment. One, one thing I find really interesting too is, or I find this idea interesting too is do they both just get sent down to the minors and injuries happen, right? Mm-hmm. First injury in the top nine. One of those guys is called up. Very likely it is likely again. I'm not like they don't need to be in the lineup. I'm just saying if they're better than the likes of an Adam Ernie, I mean, Oscar Sunquist's injury concerns right now. I know today they said, or Lalone said today that likely that Sunquist or he's hopeful that Sunquist will be ready game one, which means I'm sure he'll be ready around the start of the season. So you can argue, do you even need one of those guys up? They can start the season in the AHL and worry about the next injury. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's it, it definitely creates opportunity. Cause even yeah. you look at a fourth line of let's in theory, Rasmussen, Suter, and Sunquist and Ernie is the 13th forward. Right. Pretty good. Not bad. And then even you talk about a guy that we keep forgetting about me and you, I don't know if everyone else is, who is Giovanni Smith. Where does he fit in all this? I thought he looked better last game too. Not that he's anywhere close to Bergeron or Soderbaum or even Ernie for that matter. I think Giovanni Smith's fate is sealed on the defensive end by, by this, by the decisions made defensively, which I can, get into later but uh basically alone said today that he's still bouncing around the idea of having either 13 forwards and 8d on the roster or 14 forwards 70 because i think i think if it's 14 forward 70 it's really easy to have Giovanni smith's your 14 forward i think so too i think you're not you're not if you're carrying 14 forwards it's not going to be bergen or elmer as a scratch or a possibility of being a scratch if you're keeping them in the on the roster, they're going to be playing in my eyes. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's de- like I've liked bits of Giovanni Smith's game this preseason. But again, for the large part, I haven't really noticed all that much. Yeah. Positively or negatively, I guess. So he's just kind of a guy that you can just plug in if you want more physicality for a game. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And Absolutely. like I've always said, he plays better with better players. And if that fourth line is stronger this year, he's going to be better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe he does perform in a better fourth line this year. I mean, who knows? Um, I guess like, yeah, continuing in like the bottom six. I don't know why I ended up going bottom up, but I kind of want to stop at the third line center, which I think we all like everyone. We talked about Pew a little bit just recently, but it kind of seemed like entering into camp. We all kind of penciled him in as the third line center, but it's been quite the opposite with Joe Valeno and Michael Rasmussen getting the majority of looks at three C. I mean, mostly in practice, it's been like Joe Valeno played with Kubelik. The uh, it was Did Joe Valeno play against Washington. I can't remember. This past game, yes, yes, yeah, yes, he played. He played with um, Zadina and Kubelik. Kubelik, right? Okay, all right, right. So he's played with Kubelik the past two games. Rasmussen also played a couple games with Kubelik and Zadina. Both, both time, like both players looked very good in each of those. So again, could that be a fit? Either way, like who you prefer in that spot? I prefer Joe Valeno in that spot. But there's been moments where my biggest point on Joe Valeno's consistency and last game I thought was his worst game of the preseason, actually, against Washington. Um, I thought the game that he played on Monday against Chicago, he was arguably the best player on the ice. Pittsburgh. Yes, Pittsburgh. Sorry. Oops. Uh, but every part of the of his game, that game was fabulous in my eyes, and he was – oozing with confidence. And I thought he was oozing with confidence again on Wednesday against Washington, but sometimes not the best decisions. Um, almost too much confidence. Mm. Needs that to be kind of thing. Needs to be knocked down a peg. Yes. I don't know. That's just me watching from the side, but <laughs> I do like the fit with Kubelik and Valeno. And, and Zidane. And just in general, Kubelik oh, and Valeno okay, I'm mentioning. Okay. But I like Zadina through camp. I thought, to be fair, I thought the three of them in general, that was their worst game of preseason. Yeah. So is that because they're on a line? I don't know. Or if it was just coincidence? Yeah, I mean, could be. But I would I would like to see Joe Valeno start the season centering the third line. With those two, I think it's. With those two. Yeah. I think I'm with you on that. Um, I have really liked Michael Rasmussen's game, though, too. I mean, we had Rasmussen season last night, a sick goal. Yeah. It was pretty nice, I'm not going to lie. Good give-and-go play with Burt. Um, I do like to, like, reference back in terms of, like, kind of, like, roster projections and stuff like that. That, like, as much as, like, as tempting as a six-foot-six center is, Rasmussen did have a lot of success in the wing at the end of the year. So, I mean, when you talk about Suter and stuff, like a fourth line where you have Rasmussen on the wing to kind of free him up a little bit, have Suter a very strong defensive presence. And I'm pretty sure that was a line at one point. It was Rasmussen, Suter, I think Fabry. It might have been. That was the second line, I think. It was the game that um, Pew Suter broke the shorthanded streak. Okay. And Rasmussen set up Suter for a goal. He Because Suter had two goals that game, I think. Okay. Yeah, because Rasmussen like, missed on a breakaway and then – it like got the rebound and fed it back to Tudor. I think that's how that went. Um, 
But yeah, think about it. Yeah, even when Fabry comes back healthy, like that's what if your second line at one point last year is your fourth line? Yeah. Very funny to think about. Very funny to think about. Um, but no, I think that too is like those two is a natural fit. And you can have kind of whoever on the wing there. I, again, I, I lean towards Sunquist when he's healthy, as I think he's just a more useful player. But I mean, Adam Ernie, again, he showed it parts this, this preseason. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm, I'm willing, again, Adam Ernie's tenure as a Red Wing has been such a roller coaster. Yeah. Remember in the, the first season, he scored two goals, both in the same game and 56 games played. Yeah. I like, was looking back on that. I'm like, holy shit, that's right. He didn't, he literally did not score a single goal besides in one, like, scored two goals in one game. Hilarious stuff. And then leading the team in goals and then also, and then being a disappointment last year yeah. again after following up. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just every other year. He's basically the Philadelphia Flyers. The only problem I have with Adam Ernie playing on a line with Michael Rasmussen was example last year they were horrible together <laughs> yeah but let's let's forget the past right fresh start i mean yeah derek Lone has said fresh start another thing like i've like again not really talking lineup wise i want to talk a little loaned a little bit i've really loved like the team's mindset each game like i don't know i don't know about you but like the the effort is so much more noticeable mm-hmm. and like how, how strong how like they like it's not necessarily physicality but like how tougher they are on pucks it always so, seems like the Red Wings are, especially in the neutral zone, they're shutting plays down a lot more frequently. That's a it's lot been, to do with a new voice, I would say. Oh, definitely. People are on their toes way more. But again, it's just, it's a lot better to see. Like, it's been usually preseason can kind of get into, you're getting into games where they're high scoring and stuff like that. But it really hasn't been a thing in, for Detroit in that sense. So that's, that's I kind of view this as a positive. What has been a little bit concerning is the power play. Yes, it has not been great. No, aside from the first game where Kubelik scored, and then who else scored in the power play? It was a we went two oh, two for two, but whatever. It was can or it was a camper. I think it might have been camper. Um, yeah. There's, yeah. Besides that, like, very optimistic on this on like the team heading in. Um, you were bringing up a kind of move up the forward lineup. Uh, you were bringing up David Perron to start right before we started in his role. How like how do we get the most success out of David Perron this season? I think that's one of the biggest questions when it comes to I know this sounds this sounds a little crazy, but when it comes to the success of the Red Wings offense this year. Um the transition of this team, it's been noticeable even through the preseason games. That offense is secondary to defense. And David Perron has always been a player that has been very dominant on a power play. And what it was the Pittsburgh game on Monday. He, yep. the six on five, right? Mm-hmm. He had that one timer that yeah. just where he was shooting that wasn't necessarily to score but it popped a rebound right out front to Larkin. And then Zadina got a stab at it, which is uh, something that should obviously be in the back of the net. And that's not something I'm going to nitpick at right now, but that's got to be in the back of the net. Yeah, David Perron created that opportunity from the left half fall. You need to find as much opportunity as you can to have David Perron in the best 
position to score. Um, whether that's five on five or power play, I think one of the top priorities this season in the first 10 games of the season, I'll just say 10 as a random number, is finding the right line combination for David Perron as he's had played for quite a few different teams. But I would say he's been by far best in St. Louis and he's been very comfortable with the players. You have to get him comfortable on a line early. Yep. And do you feel that like right now with that second line, do you think that's his best shot? It's too early to tell. I would say I like the fit with Andrew Kopp for sure. Jacob mm-hmm. Verona is going to be very interesting playing with him. Yeah, because we kind of go cop, like a sl- like not the necessarily a burner and kind of a more defensive-minded guy. Like it's e- like not he's not Ryan O'Reilly. Not Ryan O'Reilly, but he played with Ryan O'Reilly. But but stylistically, you could see a similarity there. And who is his, who is David Perron's other winger for the majority of last season? That's my other question. I know he played with Ryan O'Reilly for the most part, but I can't remember who the other one was. It wasn't Tarasenko. Can- was it Buchnevich? I can't even think right now. I think it might have been Buchnevich, to be honest. So if we kind of go off, the, I'm just going to go off with Buchnevich until I can think of anything else. Because I don't think it was Robert Thomas. I think Robert Thomas was kind of the second line, or he was second line center. And then it was kind of Cairo on the other side of that. So kind of going off that, I could see maybe not Buchnevich being the best fit with like a, like a Verona to Buchnevich. But I don't know, maybe like a Lucas Raymond. Later on, like if, if the first line doesn't work, you know what I mean? Are you look are you look, trying to look up the lines? No, I wasn't. I'm sorry. That's um, okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying yeah. to think. I, I, again, I really like the top line right now for Detroit, but again, like if something doesn't work, could you see a fit with Perron and Raymond? Maybe. I'm kind of at the point where if the first line doesn't work, I want to see per, I want to see Raymond and Verona together. So I, I wouldn't hate to see them, Raymond get bumped down to the second line at that point in time and then maybe raise up Perron and play with Bertuzzi and Larkin. Yeah, and we'll talk about Raymond in a little bit, but yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, but no, I think Perron, I, I love your point on Perron. Again, I think people are like, I, to be honest, like I love Andrew Kopp and he, he's like, I literally just got a custom Andrew Kopp jersey, but I think David Perron was the best signing of the free agency. Me too. For Detroit, for Detroit. Yes, I agree. And it could be the most impact. And in a system that Lalone's trying to play of a defense-first mentality, a lot of times games are won and lost by the special teams. And we've kind of seen that in, in preseason. A lot of a lot of times Detroit's been outplayed on the power play. Yeah. And Detroit's going to need to win some games in the power play, and a guy like David Prawn wins you games on the power play. So it's important. I know David Prawn mentioned, I think it was in his opening press conference when he first started with Detroit that he views a power play like the first like couple games for a power play is super important mm-hmm. and getting in the groove of things. And I know we talked about last week of Perron being kind of like the go-to guy on the left half wall. I think, it, like you said, it's kind of surrounding him with who's going to fit best. Cider's, yeah. natu- Cider's natural fit being a, being a righty and be able to move it right to him easily on his forehand. But it's the rest of the pieces where we fit in him. And it's not necessarily – the idea of running the power play through him. It's more of getting him the best looks, not like 
almost if you have Raymond on the other flank and you run the power play through Raymond, but the idea of the power play is to set up Perron. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I would, that'd be my ideal fit, I think. Because righty and righty, if you're running it through Raymond on the right side and Sider is running it on the top of the umbrella, you basically run it through that right side in my eyes, and then you try to set up the best opportunity to get Perron the puck. Yeah, I'm with that. I'm with that. Again, I think like I think a lot of like Raymond arguably I felt it was best on the power play on the right half wall last Me year. Me too. I agree. I and felt I like would... that Blashill and Tongue would flip that quite a bit too after like the Oh, you gotta give would... you gotta give different looks, definitely. After the power play would get dry after a while, which I really like that too. Cause then like Raymond would score a sneaky one timer goal or something, and that would give Larkin some chances on his offhand. Yep. hundred percent. Um, but yeah, also like kind of sticking on the second line, it's really nice to see Andrew Kopp taking full reps. Yes, it is. And I think Lalone said in his press conference today, if it was a regular season game to this this weekend, likely Andrew Kopp probably would be playing. Good. So we're it's going to be opening night for Andrew Kopp, which is very very good. Again, I was never really worried about him missing too much, but I, I you know it's it's just nice to hear, especially for a guy you just signed to start a season healthy. Yeah. Again, it kind of gave me vibes to like <laughs> Jacob Verona when we found out the news that he's hurt to start breezy to start training <laughs> camp, except Jacob Verona ended up being a very long time. And man, that was a, imagine the Reading season. If Jacob Verona was healthy to start the year last year, it'd be really interesting to see where they would have been at. It would have been, would have been. Yeah. I'm really excited. Like uh, kind of moving into the first line. I do want to start with Lucas Raymond because, again, we talked about him a little bit for potentially moving up and down the top six. Um, I know people were like with the top line, they were pointing to the Chicago game Saturday night and being like, the top line is so back. Uh, Lucas Raymond played the game with Joe Valeno and Jacob Rana for the most part. Yeah. And I, uh, I know it was like very exciting, but like you look at it, like that one play, I is it bad that I thought Dotsuk right away? For the setup to Verona, yeah, no, that's not bad. That was it was disgusting. <laughs> the takeaway again. I think the first couple games, I was like, okay, Lucas, like uh, you're getting the swing of things. Like you definitely like you. You didn't really like notice him one way or the other. He had a couple like sweet moves here and there, but then all of a sudden, that Chicago game, you're like, holy, he owns the United Center. Yes, I think this joke has been a little bit overdone on Twitter, but he is the best number twenty three to ever play in the United Center. Agreed. Yeah, I don't even know who Michael Jordan is. Um, Same. But yeah, no, Lucas Raymond had a, had himself a game. Like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't his expected goals, like 80% or something like that. It was something stupid. Hey, I don't even know off the top of my head. And his hockey, the, like the hockey, uh, what is it? Is the uh, Twitter account hockey charts or um, what? I forget. You know the one we always send back and forth? Yeah. I can't remember what the name of it is to get proper credit. I feel bad. Hockey stat cards. Thank you, hockey stack cards. Uh, shout out them; they do really good work. But they do really um, good work. I really like their stuff. But um, yeah, Lucas Raymond, I'm pretty sure had was like the blue bar going all the way to the right, which means he had an insane game. Like he was the Red Wings' best player. And I, you look after the third period, rightfully so. I mean, Alex Stalock had a really good start to that game for Chicago, and then Raymond kind of just took over. It was nice to see again, like the skill of Verona and Raymond. I think I said I meant we mentioned it at points last year of like playing Verona with more skilled players, and I think a fit with Raymond would make sense naturally. Yeah, I agree. And I think maybe playing Raymond on the second line would give him more opportunity to showcase offensive ability. 100%. Yeah. 
But anyway, like I am excited to see the top line because I mean, you look at the the Pittsburgh game the following night, the Monday game. Man, they looked good. Yeah, they did. Raymond continued his game, and then Bertuzzi was starting to get back up to speed more, and Larkin also had a really strong game. I was really excited to see. Unfortunately, Larkin didn't score again. He didn't do his little pew pew, pew celebration yeah. that he had against Chicago. That I've already I've I've saved the video, and I I I will be using it for content this year. I'm gonna be. That's going to be like a Red Wings win. Pew, pew, pew. I don't know how I feel about that. No? Not I, didn't like, I didn't like the way you said that. The pew, pew, pew. The piece, piece, piece? Yeah, so... <laughs> okay. <laughs> you weren't expecting I, that. You know, log off. Yeah. Thank you for listening, <laughs> everybody. Please subscribe. Uh, no. Um, yeah, what do you think of full, like, I know the first half of last season, the top line was probably one of the few bright points of the Red Wings season. I mean, we were, were kind of being carried by five players. How do you think they fare in like a like in a full season together? I'm I mean, sorry. I, say that again. I worded that poorly because again, I, I we kind of were talking about the possibilities of them like being split up at one point, but like to start a season, like do we think like we can get back to that same point where they started the year last year? As a top line, yes. With it depends improved, on a lot of things in my eyes, though. With an improved defense, uh, better systems, like I don't know, I I feel like that's just a natural, natural fit there. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm curious to see how the system fits for offense, because I think last year they were given a lot of offensive freedom. That's why the cause of so many high scoring games. And high production from the likes of Bertuzzi early on in the season because right. they had so much offensive freedom. And um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was offense first last year, but I wouldn't necessarily say it was defense first last year. It's kind of like I'm like you're kind of you're counter arguing against yourself in the sense of like, I definitely think it was more so like not defensive first because I just think it wasn't anything in general first. I think it thank was you, just thank go you. out there I and think, play. I think it was a poor system that was not executed well. So it's kind of hard to tell like what is true and what isn't. Exactly. Cause slowly but surely like I don't like yeah like Blashell like I think he's a great guy and like I think he was a pretty good communicator but overall I didn't I felt over his co- like course of his tenure as head coach I really didn't feel like there was a true system in place ever. Besides the the shortened season where we were true defense, like we'd lose two one every night. Yeah, that was like the only time I felt we were committed to a system. Other than that, I felt we were just like a lost puppy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, granted, he didn't have the best like to work with, but I mean, last year we should probably should have been a better team, especially at the back half of the season. Yeah, and we held off big time. Um, but we're past that now, and I think like. Again, with more reliable puck movers on the back end, I'm really hoping for the likes of Bertuzzi and Larkin to kind of be able to flourish a little bit more and spend more time in the offensive zone. As early on, like early on, they had really crazy like goals for I numbers. I wouldn't say more reliable puck movers. That's a little over. You're jumping the gun too quick here. Well, I mean, compared them to who we had last year, that's not really saying much. Who are you talking about is more reliable, though? Ben Schrott and Ole Mata? Yeah, compared to Mark Stahl and Dan DeKaiser. Uh, yeah. 
Ben Sherratt struggled at moving the puck last year. And Olimata, I wouldn't say he struggled, but he wasn't great at it. Grant, who am I comparing who am I comparing him to? You are saying those two in general, but we also missed Nick Letty. And there who is a great who puck also, mover. Who also struggled majority. He's a of great last puck year. mover, though. That has, that has nothing to do with puck moving. If we're talking puck moving in general, Nick Letty ends over ends better than Ben Sherratt and Olimata moving the puck. Yeah, probably. For but again, he, he also but also why did he struggle so much defensively? That's because nothing to do with puck moving, though. How isn't it? If he's not moving the puck correctly and not getting the puck up ice, he's defending more. Therefore, not doing it well. That hasn't I disagree with that completely because that's not saying that he's not moving the puck well. Why do you think games were so high scoring last year? Because Nicoletti sucked defensively, but he was so good at moving the puck up ice. I suppose maybe a little bit. I don't know. Again, I still That's, think that, when I think of Nick Letty, I think of offensive transition player that is good at, at making passes up the ice that really struggles in his own end. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Where Ben Schrott is really physical in his own end, struggles to move the puck at some points. And when he gets to the red line, he dumps it. That's what I noticed last year for Florida. And I thought he was basically ended a bunch of offense in Florida because he would just hit the red line and dump. And that's not the style that they played in Florida. And Bruno had no idea how to translate Ben Schrott's game to Florida hockey, which I think won't be a problem this year because it's not going to be that style. Yeah. I've, re- I've actually really liked Schrott's game. In I've really liked Schrott's game too in preseason. That comment was not to be harsh on Schrott. No, I, I, I understand. I understand. Um, I think, this is going to be a defense-first system. Last year in Detroit was a more Nick Letty system. Mm-hmm. And in Florida was a more Nick Letty system than it was Ben Schrott. And that's why I thought that trade for Ben Schrott was horrible. They should have went out and got Nick Letty for it a have been lot flipped. cheaper. It should have been Schrott to St. Louis yes. and then Letty to Florida. Yes, because Letty analytically really struggled in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I thought he had some good games. Games, but that might have been biasy for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but no, I, I think I still think the top line has more to work with in terms of like better players around them, and also just less pressure to be the lead on offense. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're not we're not like in in the end of like a first period. We're not like we need to have them out to score. We can have two other lines that, or potentially three, even if we're running like a a Soderblom or a Berggren, even that could score. That's my biggest thing when it comes to success for those three production of other lines. Yeah. I think they got so overwhelmed at some points last year where in their heads, maybe no one else can score, especially after maybe the Fabry injury. Mm hmm. It got dangerous there for a second. Did it get dangerous? It was it was pretty grim, but no, I'm I'm excited with a uh, fresh season for those three and what they can do to build off, especially a second year of Lucas Raymond, as he's looking pretty he's looking pretty good right now. He's looking yeah. fun. He's looking very fun. Um, I think we move on to the defense, and I mean we kind of talk about Cider Schrott. I mean I'd love to talk about Cider. It's like Cider the past couple of games have been has been really fun. Kind of back to regular season form. That ju- that jump that he had was hilarious. That jump was really fun. Is it 
the worst thing in the world that I haven't really been paying attention to Cider because I'm so ultra focused, focused on other players and the roster. I, I felt that too. And then I really focused on him in the Pittsburgh game because again, Crosby, because I think him and Crosby go at it all the time. And I was like, I was like, holy shit. I think they went at it once. Yeah, but still, it's just fun to like, I, I love watching Cider against the top competition. Yeah. That's my favorite. And I thought he played really well against Pittsburgh. And also Sherrod as well. I mean, he's such a – I think he's just like a – he allows Cider the opportunity to be more active in play. Where versus mm-hmm. I felt like Cider, who's almost like with Nick Letty, he was almost leaning towards Nick Letty being the guy to be the offensive-minded guy. And sometimes when Cider wanted to be himself a little bit and jump in a little – like he ended up getting the Red Wings in trouble. Yeah. Now you have a Sherrod who's definitely more of a stay-at-home guy, bruiser. And not to say Cider's going to be any, like, weak link either. I mean, he's definitely – he's not a bruiser, but he's physical presence. Cider? Yeah. He's a bruiser. You'd call him a bruiser? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, it's not the main intent of his game, though. I kind of consider – He's like a still bruiser. a bruiser. All yeah. right, all right. I, I, I call Cider a bruiser no matter what. Okay. I, and not to be so – Ben Sherratt will also jump in the play. He doesn't do it as much as Nick Letty would. And honestly, I don't hate when he does do it. It's I don't like think a Mark Stahl. Is it like a Mark Stahl thing? Not as bad as Mark Stahl. Mark Stahl would be like to the point where I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, oh my gosh, this is so funny, but this is so bad. And then it ends up being like possibly really good. Uh, oh. I think sometimes Ben Sherratt, when he dumps the puck in, he'll just be the first man on the four check, which is kind of funny but sometimes it works just a six foot three like 230 pound human just coming down at you and he just wants to kill you <laughs> like the he's a thick lad i don't know i i've liked ben Schrott's game quite a bit so far in preseason it's also preseason though and again we talked about it like right away with the signing out we've kind of felt that Schrott would be the top pairing guy with cider and, and so <laughs> far it looks like they're gonna run that um i've also really liked ali mata's game with philip Peronic. I think that's like the biggest, like we've kind of talked about Hironic being successful and he needs to be a number two defenseman. I wouldn't say I've loved Olimata's game, but I wouldn't say I've noticed him in a bad way. Perfect. I'll go like that. So, and I would say I've noticed Hironic a lot more than I did last year in a good way, in a good way. And I think that's due to Olimata. That is the grant. You said exactly what we need. Exactly. What exactly exactly what the Red Wings need is Alimata just to be there. Just keep Heronic out of trouble. Exactly. And let Heronic be. Because I think again, he showed he showed so much like the 1920 season I look back to. I mean, he was the guy playing way too much. Mm-hmm. But he's never been able to translate that to a re- lesser role quite yet. Exactly. And I'm curious. And again, like he'll be probably QBing again on the power play, which I'm another I'm also curious about this year Me to too. see how he does there. Um, because again, I, I felt that at points he's not the best suited for that as he's a, a good shooting threat, but he's not necessarily the best passer. Yeah, agreed. So it will be interesting to see that. But no, I'm more Philip Peronic playing to his potential. I'm I'm all here for, especially with the contract he has. Yeah, like that's not that's not a third pairing defenseman. You you need him to be a second pairing guy at the least. Yeah. Four point four million. It's a lot. Especially a guy, he's gonna he's got two years left entering this season. You gotta start start uh producing at that level. Yeah, and he set up well. I think like I think Alimato is the best fit for him there, for sure. 
Um, I would say so. Yeah. So like the top four is pretty, I mean, it's been well set since we came into Traverse city. Like that was never really a conversation. What is the conversation though is the bottom pair? Cause right now I have no idea. Consistently through through practice and stuff, it's been Edvinson and Lindstrom. But like overall, they've both have left me a lot to be desired. Gosh. <laughs> this conversation is <laughs> it's exactly that a giant conversation because especially with the injuries. Yeah. It would be so easy for me to decide with the inju- without the injuries, especially Pesic and Hag with them being out. and Wallman. And Wallman. Wallman would make this so easy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely would. And the thing is, with him being out until, what is it? November. November. Mid to late November, yeah. I still think it's pretty easy. Yeah. I was pretty confident last episode that the, the red-white game and the beginning of training – or beginning of preseason didn't really matter for Edvinson after watching Wednesday's night game. He needs more time. Yeah. I, there's so much to like about his game. There's also so much to hate right now. I wouldn't say to hate. There's so much for him to grow on. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things is just making plays too quick. He doesn't even give any thought to plays. He just makes a split-second decision when it should be a lot more time to think about it. Like, he has doesn't realize how much time he has a lot of time. And also, his puck control is has been – how do I say this nicely? Brutal in the defensive zone. He, he hasn't been able to handle many pucks in the D zone. And I don't know if that's due to the change in ice or just the speed. It's almost, I don't know if he gets nervous, but puck control has not been there for him in the D zone, and which is, which is scary to me. I think he's had some good ozone reads, but also he's had some bad ozone reads. I think there's too much question right now for management to look at him and say, okay, he should be the fifth defenseman. Yeah. Especially like even in coverage in the D zone, which was like something he was never like a problem with. Like we looked in, in the SHL. I would say, I would argue that that was one of his problems in the SHL, but it was overshadowed by his good play all around on the other side. Like, in the joining the rush outlet passes penalty kill he was great on but when it come came to d zone coverage i would say he struggled a little bit last year and i think he was helped so much by um oh my gosh oh uh, christian fullen christian fullen last year that's what we need we need christian fullen to be the 60 yeah true he played in the nhl before yeah um yeah it was the washington the washington game was very very bad for him it was not a good game i argue that was probably his worst game of the preseason two in the first period alone two times there was prime scoring chances one the capitals cashed in on 
the, the other one was a play in two on O that Connor Brown got back door and Philly Huso bailed him out big time. It was both Edmondson losing coverage. Yeah, the, the other one was on the penalty kill, but also you're that was your guy and he was back door wide yeah. open as you're the weak you're the weak side D. It's a tough one. And again, I still think his upside is higher than any other defenseman, mm-hmm. other other than Cider and probably like yeah, other than Cider on the roster right now. Upside. Mm, upside, yeah. I would say it's just way too raw to say that. Right. I think that's such a bold statement. Because I think Ronick still has so much upside and it's been seen at the NHL level. Mm. Um, That goal that you're talking about actually wasn't on the penalty kill. Oh, it wasn't was, it five on five? It was six on five. Uh, oh, that's right. had just taken a penalty. Right. Uh, a reaching penalty, I'm pretty sure, or was holding. Which would have been a second penalty of the game, which turned out of, of the first period, of the first period, which turned out to be a backdoor tap in essentially because of blown coverage. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> man, it's tough. Um, and of course, he got taken off the top, the Red Wings' top pair last night, or the Wednesday night, excuse me, for people who are listening Friday, which you will be. Um, Albert Johansson took over. And I thought Albert Johansson played pretty well. Just consistent defense first hockey is what Albert Johansson was playing. Which is a weird thing to say about Albert Johansson. Yes and no. I would say last year kind of transitioned to more focused on defense. And then offense comes secondary, which I like. Mm -hmm. Um, We haven't really seen the explosive shifty Albert Johansson in throughout preseason, but it's all been, like I said, consistent defense first hockey. Um, and I thought last night with Lindstrom, he played Wednesday night. He played very well. And even quarterback in the second unit. He, you know, he went to quarterback. Like quarterback in the first unit. He looked very good too. Because I found that interesting as well. I pointed out to you that Edvinson was taken off the first unit. He wasn't taken it, off. It was just for that preseason game. He was listed as. Well, yeah, he was listed as the first power play unit. Then it was switched in the game. Oh, I don't know. So I, I thought that was interesting. At least that's how it was listed by Anzer Khan in, in practice. So, I mean, he could have flipped him. I don't know. But it, from the way that they've been deployed, Edvinson had been the top power play guy for the yeah. most part. So I don't know. Like, again, it's really tough to tell with Albert Johansson because I think he is still a dark horse to make the roster, as we pointed out just before preseason even started. He just hasn't gotten a lot of reps as NHL guys. That's what I'm curious about. So I would lean towards he's not making the roster just simply for that reason. It's not like he's – it's almost as if he's not getting the big chance that Edvinson has gotten thus far. And I think Edvinson has played himself out of a spot. Yeah, I think I'm leaning more that way too. Unfortunate. And like, like, even if he has a big game, like to finish, I just don't see the, 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 how do I put this? Like, not like, yeah, there's too big of a risk with that. Yeah. It's a good way of saying it. I I can, he's a big risk right now on an NHL roster. So with Simon Edvinson, kind of, it's seemingly in everyone's eyes, he was going to make, likely make the roster. With him kind of faltering and needing more time, which again is totally natural for a 19-year-old. 
it's an overblown statement. The fact that cider had two years and whatever we're comparing the two, which shouldn't be a thing, but it isn't, it is, you know, relevant that there was an extra year and defensemen take, and again, it's a harder position to translate to than forward. So it was only natural that he takes more time. Who do you feel is the best fit for the bottom pair then? Um, I want to say that he's not going to be on the team more than likely. So I would say Hag and Lundstrom if Hag's ready. And then you roll 7D. And so it's between Hag, Lindstrom, and Osterley, who's ever playing the best, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I want the fun in me to be Johansson. Like, I want something on the back end. I just don't like, think it's going to happen. But I, I don't think like it's going to happen either. I don't think it's going to happen either. He's never really gotten the opportunity. It really seems like they're, they're giving it to Edvinson, and kind of that's it. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, like, playing with an actual regular that's only he Edmondson's been the only guy. So I kind of feel like that's the way to Hag would be my pick too. And it sucks because we haven't seen him in any preseason action. So it's kind of hard to even judge where he's at. And it's almost more likely that Osterley gets in, which kind of scares me. I'm not gonna lie. That bottom yeah. pair that bottom pair scares me. It does. Again, a a team's like winning and losing shouldn't be determined by a bottom pair, but when you're a team like Detroit, where you're still trying to figure out your defensive ways, it's, it's a little scary. So I'm not necessarily ruling out Edmondson completely yet. I still think it's more likely than not. He's in Grand Rapids at this point, but I mean, granted, I, I see an argument where he could be in Detroit. I just don't know if it's best for him at this point. And I think we're I, kind of in a- I don't think there's that great of an argument. I, I question the management quite a bit if he stays in Detroit, to be honest with you. I think it's a very questionable move. Okay. Yeah, I mean, definitely concerns. We'll see. I, I, mean, I think best for the team and best for his development is in Grand Rapids. Yeah, getting another, not putting that pressure on him. And I think it's going to hurt the team more than help the team if he starts in Detroit. That sounds harsh, but it's right now from everything I've seen, it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time will tell. Time will tell. Um, trying to think like anything else noteworthy. Um, I would like to shout out Billy Huso. I liked his game versus Washington. I thought he played pretty solid after kind of a weird game against Pittsburgh where he led in a leaker against, uh, he had a really whatever save percentage, but against preseason. So we can't really judge. He led in a leaker against Josh Archibald, but then like the other two goals, I don't really blame him, but I, I've, I've liked his game. I feel like he's a very steady goalie. Nothing really flashy about him. Yeah. Which I, which I kind of like. To kind of offset uh, Alex Nelkovich's nature, which is definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, are there any other things you want to point out going into the end of preseason, and then likely by the time we do our next uh, episode, the final roster will be out. Yeah, not in particularly anything. No, I'm I'm super excited. I'm really like against Toronto. I'm really I'm really curious to see what the lineups are tomorrow, even. And I feel like that Saturday game might be guys like Soderblom, Berggren, Edvinson, Johansson getting those last looks in to see if they yeah. can stick with the team. Another guy, I can kind of go back to the defense a little bit. Stephen Camper. I'm also curious to see if he gets reps. Maybe he he becomes an eight if they want to run eight deed for for being a guy. 
that's what I was thinking. If they want to run eight, I think it's uh, – I think right now it's Osterley, Lindstrom, Hag, and Camfer if you run eight. Unless you do feel like Johansson should be in the lineup, which I think is still up in the air too because you haven't seen enough of him. So that's why I don't right. believe he's going to make the team. I, I want to see him in a, an increased role to really see. Because, again, he, I, I do want an ele- a different element on the back end of a, a potential boom, if you will. Yeah. Versus just guy, yeah. which is kind of what we have. I want more from Gus Lindstrom, man. Like I, I've, he let he was really exciting and like really exciting in the sense of being a sixth defenseman, and then really tapered off to finish the year. Yeah, really curious, but no, it'll be. Uh, I'm excited for the, the final two games, and I, and we're gonna be going into regular season, which is always super exciting to talk about. But uh, that's gonna do it for this one. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Production Line Podcast. Uh, please make sure you check out our partners uh, inside the rank. Plenty of good content going up there, um, with, whether you're a fan of the NHL or Red Wings or just Red Wings in general. Um, yeah, plenty of exciting things to come in the future. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah.